welcome aboard. Open the door and come on in, as our friend Rumi says. Why stay in your cell when the door is open? If you're welcome nowhere else, you're certainly welcome here. The only price of admission is honesty, open-mindedness, and the willingness to try. A couple foundational pieces that we're spiritual beings and we happen to be having a human experience and that life is absurd. And follow us as we plot our way through life. Uh, no maps. We'll plot our way as long as we go. So my name is Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist. And today, as our show on Fishing Without Bait evolves, we're joined by Mr. Chris. Thank you. It's good to be here. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be on the show and be perhaps be acquainted with it. Sure. Well, um, I am familiar with Fishing Without Bait. Um, have watched a couple of the episodes. Of course, um, Michael Sorg is a is a friend, and uh, I always check out what he is into because uh, uh, Sorgatron Media does some great things here. Yes, and um, I think he was the one that uh, connected uh, you to I, and because um, he showed you a video from uh, last Friday night's storytelling event, uh, where I, for the first time, uh, shared in public uh, my um, my path with uh, bipolar disorder. So could you tell us a little bit about your coming out decision? Yes. So um, this was something, I, I don't know, I, you know, you can, there's always a stigma around it. Um, I'm in a, a very professional pos- position, and and so I, I really didn't want people to sort of, I don't know, I guess judge me by um, uh, by, by uh, bipolar. Um, but I was sent an email um, a few uh, weeks back um, by um, Jason McCoy of McCoy Creative, and uh, he reached out just simply saying, if you know somebody that could share a story about um, any kind of experience with mental health, I'm putting together this uh, event that will be at the uh, Pittsburgh Cultural Trust Gallery Crawl. It's uh, combined with uh, an app that allows people to share their stories anonymously, but then you know shows you the the, the sort of breadth of, of mental uh, health uh, in, in Pittsburgh and kind of reduces that stigma. But he was looking for six storytellers. And, and so I said, well, you know, maybe this is a sign from the universe. I don't know. Um, maybe it's time that I went public um, and showed, you know, sort of my experiences to, to hopefully, you know, open that up for other people to share as well and maybe break down the stigma and, and, and maybe push the needle in, you know, a head in, in understanding of, of the disease. Um, and so I said, well, I have a story to, to tell. And, uh, and so I was accepted in as, as one of the storytellers and, and we did it live, uh, on the street, uh, in the middle of downtown Pittsburgh on Liberty Avenue. So you can't get more public than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I watched that, that, uh, that was great. So normally the committee inside of your head, some of the committee members would be, uh, voicing great opposition to, uh, something like that. Well, you know, it's, uh, it was exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> um, it's kind of getting, you know, maybe on a, you know, one of those uh, big roller coasters for the first time. You really, really want to do it, and it's a, it's a big thrill, but you're still not quite sure. Um, and that's that's what it was for me. I, you know, I'm a storyteller by trade, uh, so to speak. I've I've been a part of some storyteller troops here in Pittsburgh. I'm used to telling other people's stories. I'm used to telling, um, my own personal stories that are, are not related to maybe my, you know, deepest part of me. Um, 
so I guess why couldn't I, you know, open that up and, and, and be able to, to, uh, to share this as well. And so that's, that's kind of where we got to. Um, so even though I was scared, I, I managed to do it. Um, I kept my notes in my left hand because <laughs> I was worried I'd forget something. Um, and I never referred to them. I kept, you know, my hand was doing this the entire time as I was being, you know, emotional about, about my story. So we often talk about courage is the ability to deal with fear. And it sounds like you overcame that fear. So how did it sound to actually hear the sound of your own voice coming out of your mouth and talking about yourself? Uh, when you know, when I'm in the moment, I don't even I don't even hear it. Uh, but I could see it in in the eyes of the people. Um, uh, and I was able to kind of almost work in a semicircle. And there there were a lot of uh, different people, uh, some involved with the events, they knew what was going to happen, and, and some that had just walked by and stopped to to listen to the story. And you know, you start to get some head nods and and some recognition, and and you just you know you just keep rolling from from there. So um, it was harder, I think, really to sort of sit down and capture it um, on paper because uh, I wanted to make sure I had it all, you know, I wanted to grab as much emotion as possible. When I actually got to, to tell the story, well, you know, it was easy to kind of really share that emotion. Well, it's kind of uh, cathartic to be able to share that out with people. It was, and, and as I said last week, um, sort of the stage I was in in, in, uh, in my moods was I was going up and down, up and down, because I had crashed out of a, a manic stage and into a depression stage, and when I'm in a depression stage, I don't I don't want to be in it. You know, I don't like it. <laughs> um, and so I tend to push, try and push myself up to get back to that manic stage that I like so much. Um, and so I was going up, down, up, down. But after Friday, I actually moved into a nice, calm and normal state where I'm at right now. It's, it's almost like a vacation. It's, it feels great. Um, and I think part of it was sort of getting that off my chest and and out into the open and I just I feel good about myself right now you know that's that's very very important feeling good about yourself and that's the self-validation type of thing that we work with on this show frequently so I'm glad you're putting a face to this disorder as many people just uh, talk about it or they read about it in books or they see it uh, portrayed in the movies in perhaps not a very uh, positive type of light that it that it can be treated so uh, Chris I often say that nobody goes through hospitals and uh, kicks the beds in the cancer wards telling them that to snap out of it and there's nothing wrong with them <laughs> and uh they could they could stop this if they if they tried uh, yeah um i mean that's uh that's kind of what i i've i've heard it's it's what i've read is like if uh if you're just on a routine if you eat at the same times if you go to bed at the same times if you get up at the same times if you get enough sleep the right amount of sleep if you uh exercise at the same times and get the right amount of exercise if you just do that on a consistent basis you'll be able to control it Jim, that's impossible. <laughs> well, they're, 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 I can't. I can't take your temperature and determine. Yes, Chris has bipolar disorder. Uh, there's nothing that. There's nothing substantive that I can look at. Something that I can grasp. Something tangible. Okay, so people have no problem going in and getting treated for high blood pressure. Yes. or high cholesterol, or some heart issues, or what, whatever type of physical ailments. But people are so hesitant to go somewhere and say, hey, I'm just not feeling, thinking right. Uh, my life is not going well. Uh, can I get some help? Well, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And it, it took me, um, uh, 
many years and i and i can point to to really two friends that helped me to to seek treatment um because they recognized it right away and they recognized um you know what uh what it was doing to my life um and without them i don't i don't think i would um i've heard this before from from other people that have bipolar that you're worried that it, if you go on medication it's going to take something away from you and for me you know, well, I like, I like the manic periods. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm fun. I'm social. I got a lot of energy. I feel like I'm more creative at that time. Uh, times, you know, people like being around me. Uh, it's when you go too far, too fast, too hard, too fast that then people start to pull back from you because it's just not comfortable for them anymore. And, um, and you feel completely normal, but you're, you're, you know, exhibiting unusual behaviors and things like that and it tends to get to a dangerous point that oftentimes you know you don't come back from so or you come back from through a hospital stay you know that kind of thing so no, there's not a bipolar trapdoor out there that you just fall through and all of a sudden you have these type of symptoms the uh, the bipolar no in, in in fact you know i think the diagnosis for bipolar is is somewhat is somewhat difficult um you know depending on where you're at and your moods is you might get diagnosed with something else at least to start with. And then, uh, so, you know, I, I finally went in and, and, uh, you know, I was put on antidepressants, um, because I was in a depressive state at the time. And, um, and so, and I basically could, I can track depression easier than I can track the, the manic periods, um, because I hate the depression period. So I know when I'm there and I know how long I've been there and, and, and I've disconnected from any, everything at that point. Um, the problem is, is, is if, if you're bipolar and you're on an antidepressant, once you hit that high period, well, you hit it really, you know, you go faster, you go higher, you go harder and, um, it can be dangerous. And, and so until we, figured that out and switched, you know, treatment, it, um, you know, I still was not in a, you know, in a, in a very stable place. So what led you to actually seek some help? Uh, did you go there at gunpoint? Did, uh, did a loved one uh, <laughs> handcuff themselves to you and take I, you in? I, I think a lot of people end up there on, at gunpoint, as you say. Um, I, I did not. Um, I actually ended up at, at gunpoint after I was already in treatment. It was interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, my my wife has been was steadily saying, you know, some, something's wrong, something's wrong. But you you tend not to listen to it when you're, you know, I, everything seems fine to me. Everything seems normal. This, okay, so I'm getting less sleep, so I'm, you know, acting a little weird, whatever that is. Um, but friends friends of mine were saying, you know, well, you know, when you're like this, you're doing this. And when you're like this, you're doing this. And, and it really looks, you know, some of them had had experience themselves with, with bipolar. It really looks like bipolar. You, you should at least, you know, go talk to a therapist. And so I finally, I finally said, and what kind of triggered it in my, in my head was, yeah, I was, I was being creative and I was being very energetic and I was tackling projects, but I wasn't getting any projects done really, or, or <laughs> I didn't have a, I didn't have a lot of focus or anything. And I was tackling, you know, too many, 10 different projects here and there. You know, I was like that cat going after the, the light, you know, ooh, ooh, over here, shiny light, shiny light, shiny light. And, and, you know, they were like, you have such great ideas, but you're not completing them. And so I think uh, that's probably what triggered it in my head is I wanted to, 
you know, I wanted to see some of my projects. So you would multitask so yourself into uselessness. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you know, when, when you're at a certain point, you, you know, you get to that point where you're, you're unstoppable. You feel like you're unstoppable, right? You're invincible. And, and for me, if I'm being creative and I'm invincible, it means like I can, I'll write a novel by tomorrow. Oh, heck, I'll write 10 novels by tomorrow. I'll get a couple screenplays. I'll do this. I'll do, do, do and and so, you know, you, if you look at my notebooks, I've got like this started and not started mm -hmm. and this started and that started and, and nothing finished. And well, you're great at running 100-yard <laughs> dashes and after quitting after 75 yards. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Okay. So when did people start to maybe become concerned with how happy and how much Chris talks? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, – for my wife – it was, um, it was, it was really, it was the, the up downs, it was the, the highs and then the crashes when I, you know, when I was, you know, when I was running so fast, sometimes she just, you know, it was just, it was too fast, it gets too fast for people. But for her, it was that, that sort of switch in between to where, um, you know, I'm out, I'm, I'm engaged, I'm, you know, I'm with the family. I'm, I'm, you know, doing things with the family too, where, you know, I'd come home from work and I'll shut myself in the room for the rest of the night. Um, or it'd be periods of he's up all night, he's doing whatever. And then, you know, a week later I'm sleeping for days at a time, um, because my body is, I physically crashed at that point. Um, it, it was those types of things that, well, you know, I love her. I want to be there for her. And, 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 and I'm, I'm not when I'm, when I'm doing that. And so, you know, to, to keep that relationship, um, strong, I, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to so get you better some, at manage this for so her. So you had some too. motivating factors yeah, behind yeah, that. And, so, and, and that's what it So like. it wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, he's done something totally destructive. I've done destructive things all my life and not ended up in, in, um, you know, in, in therapy, so to speak, but it was really that kind of culmination of, uh, or realization that now, now's the time because you just don't want to, you know, you don't want to lose what you have. Sure. So, so you recognize that and that's, yeah. uh, so what we help people do on this show is be able to step back and look at situations rather than from them. And I, uh, when I watched your video, uh, you, I loved the way that you referred to the tiger. Could you say a little more about that? So um, the PBS had done a, a documentary where they had interviewed, um, you know, several people, some of them celebrities, um, about their own experiences uh, with bipolar, and they kind of uh, coined the term "riding the tiger." And I think it comes from, well, when you're riding the tiger, it's the only time you can't be eaten by the tiger. Right? <laughs> um, for me, um, even before that, that documentary, um, I've always had this this kind of dream or vision of of really chasing the tiger when I'm, you know, when I'm up and going and, 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 uh, and have a, a lot of energy and I can almost, I can almost get that tiger. And so I'll just run faster. I'll run faster. I'll run faster. Um, and, and I liken it, it's not a linear journey for me. I'm actually chasing it in a circle. And so at, at some point the tiger starts to overtake me and, and, you know, the, the announcers up on the tracker saying, oh, he's about to be lapped, you know, because that tiger's come around that circle and he's not chasing me. And that's more of the depressive periods. And so then I'm trying to run faster around that circle to get back to, you know, so I don't get swallowed by the tiger basically. And so that's always the vision I had. And I've always related that to my, my mental health. And then to come and see that PBS documentary 
country of riding the tiger, it really kind of brought that into focus. And so I basically, when I tell my story now, it's the tale of the tiger and circles um, because it's um, it's more than just riding the tiger for me. It's And it's not even the tiger that scares me. Um, you know, I'd be happy to walk side by side with Tiger or stare at face down. Um, to me, the most frustrating thing is the circle. Um, it just doesn't end um, that uh, that journey around that circle and those those you know destructive periods that happen around that circle are just they're, they're frustrating, they're frightening, and, and and downright painful. Well, one of the most frustrating things that I found in my own path of recovery and other people tell me is the inability to accurately explain to other people how exactly they feel and how can we expect other people to understand? Yeah. And, um, I think, you know, it's also, you know, with bipolar disorder, you get physical pain. Um, and I, I get the most sort of physical pain when I'm going through transitions going up or down. Um, and so that, well, you know, pain makes you irritable, short tempered, Restless, irritable, and discontent. Exactly. So, um, you know, you're, you want to try and limit that just, just for that. You know, well, so. sure. It's like trying to explain the color red to a blind person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I remember what specifically what you were talking about the, with the tiger trying to explain to people. I was on my first uh, go round at Western Psych a number of years ago. The psychiatrist was asking me a number of what I thought was uh, inappropriate way off the mark questions. And finally, I said to him, I says, Doc, I said, have you ever felt the beast roar? Have you ever heard that beast roar? And he said, well, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I stood up and I says, well, then apparently we have nothing further to discuss. <laughs> and uh, things didn't go well for me after that there. Uh, however, it's frustrating to be help, try to help somebody understand how you feel. It, it is. And, um, you know, I try to, just in the last week, people have have asked me, you know, questions, you know, here, there, here, there. And then they'll, they'll, they'll hear my explanations. Well, I think I'm bipolar. And I'm like, yeah, you may be, I don't know if you think so, you know, go, you know, go talk to someone. But, uh, what I think it's important for everybody to understand is you, you will go through all three of these, you know, you'll be manic, you'll be depressive, you'll, you'll be, you'll be normal. That's, that's actually normal. Um, for for someone that has bipolar, you'll go through them, you know, far more intensely, sometimes dangerously, um, and you could go through them on a day. You know, you can go through all three phases in in an hour. You know, sometimes you, you know can, in a day. You, you, you know, certainly whatever. can so, cycle. Yeah, and so that's. But I'm glad that people are starting to look inside themselves and 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 say, well, you know, I'm concerned about my own mental health and I want to do something about it. And and I think, you know, if I was able to get them uh, to to do that activity through through watching my story, then, then great. That's wonderful. Well, so. One of the things that we often do on this show, and I do in my own practice, is to help people label and identify, describe thoughts and feelings. Uh, do you have a dog, Chris? I do. What's your dog's name? Rocco. Rocco, okay. Do you love Rocco? I love Rocco. So one of the reasons that people give pets names would be, and this isn't a quiz, well, uh, Rocco came named. Uh, okay. we, we actually adopted Rocco from um, the Butler County Humane Society. Um, but Rocco is actually named uh, for the um, police dog, the canine Rocco, that was um, uh, killed uh, in the line of duty. Um, and so I, um, 
I didn't want to change. I could have changed Rocco's name. You could have adopted, but um, I really liked honoring, you know, the way he was honoring the, um, you know, the the canine Rocco. So um, that's why I. Kept so it. if you love uh, Rocco, and I'm certain you do, but if you'd have never given Rocco a name and he ran outside. How would you have called Rocco back? Well, I said, which, you know. You'd be, you'd get anxious, worried, fearful, <laughs> afraid. And when we get in, sometimes when we get into these, these depressive states, we get into these tigerish, we riding this tiger. And if we're not able to actually label and describe it, then we do get anxious and we get fearful. So what we help people do is be able to say, okay, here's how I feel. Here's how I'm thinking. Have them accurately label and describe. And it gives them some act, actually, it empowers them. It gives them some type of power. Okay. Okay, here's where I'm at. I, I I can understand that. I think after because um, I I said you know last Friday night um, I had I was in a sustained manic period and I crashed into a depressive period and and at that very moment when I was telling the story I was pushing myself up and going back down pushing myself go going back down which is the most painful part for me is is when you're in that sort of yo-yo uh, between the two um, but having that. Uh, event um, and sharing my story was almost, you know, cathartic. I I feel like I feel like I'm in a much better place. I said, you know, uh, for the last you know four or five days, I've kind of been riding in those normal ranges, which is like a nice vacation for someone with a bipolar. So. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.